You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 15. Today we're asking the question, should we give prizes for safety? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, what's today's question? The question for the episode today is, should we give prizes for safety? So I don't know, David, if we had prizes specifically in mind when we wrote our safety work versus the safety of work paper, but I think they're one of those things that falls really neatly into that category of things that we might do for a number of different reasons. You know, when we, our company applies for a safety award or when we give out a safety award, It's ambiguous whether we're doing that as a marketing exercise or whether we're trying to improve safety or some sort of mix in the two where we're trying to celebrate safety because it's good outside the organization, makes people inside the organization feel good. And, you know, that's generally a good thing rather than a specific safety improvement. So that's, that's our question is, is it a good idea to give these prizes from those different perspectives? And when we talk about prizes... Uh, We're basically talking about any sort of award that someone gives to someone else to recognize efforts made to improve safety. There are lots of safety organizations and industry organizations that give out various awards. As far as I know, uh, what I'm most familiar with is that companies tend to self-nominate for this award. They put forward particular projects or particular initiatives or sometimes, in some categories, particular individuals that they think are a good chance of getting the prize. In the other direction, some companies give out internal awards, you know, things like Safe Employee of the Month, or you know, a recognition prize because someone's made a particular innovation or improvement or done a particularly good piece of work. So Drew, um, prizes, I mean, they're well and truly used in safety. Um, there's lots of industry awards and prizes for safety. A number of regulators have have a whole, have a whole set of categories of, of annual awards for for safety, many organisations have have award schemes, and it is one of those things. When we talked about the safety of work or or safety work, it is one of those things that you, you kind of don't know why the organisation is doing it. Like you said, are they doing it to reward people for doing something well in the hope that they'll continue it? Are they doing it to try to create some ambition for other people to be safe and maybe win it in the future? Are they trying to do it just to? show other people that they're safe and make their life a little bit easier or make them more attractive to clients. So there's a whole lot of reasons. And we kind of, unless you stop and think about it, you, you kind of don't know which reason is, or all of those reasons for um, for organizations doing it. Yeah. So I got on, I'm the one who chose the papers for this episode. And what made me particularly keen to look at it was I was looking at a way we could talk a little bit about using behavioral economics for safety. And I thought, you know, giving, giving money to try to get someone to do someone, that's like classic economic, so it might be a good in. But there's also the thing that, you know, whether awards help or don't help, they're not intended as some you know, drastic reform of safety. They're a nudge. You know, There's something to motivate people to try to get them inclined, a little bit of extra incentive. 
And so that fits well with the modern thinking about you know, behavioural economics and nudges, small incentives as ways of sort of shifting behaviour patterns. So Drew, you found, you came across, you, we're going to talk about two papers um, in sort of one at a time. Do you, want to, do you want to start with describing the first paper? Sure. So the first paper is directly in the safety field. The second one isn't. And this first paper is called Motivating the Workforce, the Value of External Health and Safety Awards. The paper's a little old. It was written in 2000, and it was published in the Journal of Safety Research. That's a reputable journal. It's probably not up there with the leading safety journals. Um, And with these sort of old papers, one of the checks that we do is we check who's cited them. Because the older something is, the more chance there is that there's been something more recent that has supplanted it. And chances are the more recent stuff has cited the old stuff. Um, In this case, the research hasn't been updated. It turns out that there's hardly any research at all into, certainly into external safety awards. There's a little bit more of internal company motivating prizes. So this is pretty much the research on external safety awards. The paper is by Robin Tate and Deborah Walker. Uh, I haven't given them their titles because it's so old, I'm not quite sure of the correct title. I couldn't look it up and find out. The paper doesn't have a lot of information about methods. It doesn't have a method section. It sort of drip feeds the method as it goes through. And it's mainly a piece of descriptive research. So it's surveying people and interviewing people about award schemes to find out what they think. The study makes a few general conclusions about safety awards. Um, David, I'll get you maybe to jump in and comment on these as we go. So the first one is that they found the awards seemed to be concentrated in particular industries. So construction has lots of safety awards, whereas service industries like healthcare have hardly any. Yeah, I think, and we know that there's there's awards in those types of environments because those companies are often trying to promote their safety credentials to potential clients to to win more work. So they they like having they like applying for and they like receiving awards and and there's so many on offer for those types of those types of industries now and they're probably the types of organizations that are most likely to to apply for broader awards like regulator awards and things like that because there needs to be some return for the effort that goes into preparing a good award application yes yeah, so, so that was certainly what the researchers thought was that they thought there was a clear pattern that where there are external benefits to the organization, either for receiving or for giving an award. They said a lot of organizations that give awards do it for the same similar reasons that they receive them. It shows your safety credentials, it shows you care, it gets your name out there. Where there's the benefit of that being sort of publicly known or having some stamp you can say that we're good at safety, that's where the awards tend to happen. And that giving of awards can be like uh, sponsoring a particular award or something like that. Yeah, some of them, the ones they talked about sponsoring, some of them they talked about sort of companies giving awards that would mainly be applied for by people who would be contract subcontractors to that big contractor. So the second thing they mention is that there's a general concern amongst people who apply for awards that success is based mainly on the paperwork. There's a strong suggestion that awards are won by people who are good at applying rather than on objective evidence. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me. I think the research method by, by interviewing and surveying people and 
and asking them their thoughts on it. Um, it doesn't doesn't surprise me. Most of the award schemes would have a set of criteria. So describe this and and write this in two hundred words, and then explain why. And you know, there's a there's a certain skill to responding to a criteria, and and I, I can imagine that people sometimes felt that the award wasn't necessarily the one who whose safety activities or programs deserved it, but the ones who filled out the best application. They did mention that this this is certainly not universal, so it's not a criticism across all awards. Um, they said that some of the awards, in fact, some of the most prestigious and competitive ones, involved site visits by the team giving out the award to verify the information and to see what was happening on the ground. And a couple that I've been sort of tangentially involved in it's definitely the case that some of these site visits are almost like information exchange, that these are often people from bigger subcontractors or from professional organisations. They're not just going along to judge, but they're also going along to give feedback and advice on how people are managing safety in smaller businesses. I think also in that paperwork thing, I was just, just thinking, Drew, it's many times in my experiences, these awards are given out for safety work rather than the safety of work. So the program might be something like, you know, best health and safety program. And so someone who's developed a new stop work form or a new poster campaign or something like that can can write a really great application. And, you know, I've always been quite disappointed when I see the winners of some awards and, and the things that they won awards for and think, oh, gee, it's just a glossy safety program rather than maybe actually the safety of work being the primary criteria for determining the award. I have to admit that Sometimes I'm at these award ceremonies, particularly if I'm speaking at a conference and there's an award ceremony attached to the conference. And you'll be sitting in a ballroom and they'll give this little short video or presentation talking about each nomination for the prize. And you, one of them will be you, someone, a couple of guys in the company have thought of a really cool way of putting in fence posts and that you know removes some of the difficulty and strain on people's backs. And then that'll be against, oh, this project reduced their LTFIR <laughs> ratios for the project and this person put a new method of risk assessment and i always find myself rooting for the guys who've just invented something cool something you know direct physical change to the way work is done and i sort of almost like you groan and think that i've lost when it goes to the people with the glossy paperwork so the third thing they say and this is what we were suggesting before is that when you ask people why they apply for awards the leading motives are about external recognition and acknowledgement. Now, that, that's got two sides to it. One of them is just that it's good for the company economically. So people apply for awards because it helps the company do well, to be known for doing well for safety. But there's a second side to that, which is that it's good for the individuals within the company working on safety to have this success. And that's not necessarily selfish. That's Having the company know that their safety team is doing well can lead to the safety team having more support from within the organisation because they're achieving things and contributing to the organisation by winning prizes which win contracts. Yes, yeah, so I think, Drew, this, uh, this central question of is it, is it valid to invest safety, safety time and safety resources or organisational time and resources to specifically seek external recognition? What are your thoughts on, on how valid or how good or bad that is for safety? So it is definitely the case when I say definitely the case, this study says, um, and it, my own, I guess, opinions and observations back this up, that certainly the direct work that goes into applying for the awards 
is not direct work into improving safety. So, so as well as the work you do for the organization, you're separately putting time and effort into this application. So that, that is diverting resource and effort away from one thing that is direct for safety towards something which is far less direct, which is not something I'm personally a fan of. Doesn't mean it's bad for safety per se, but maybe suboptimal for safety, not getting the bang for the buck that you could. And I think part of this is just the way that the world works in in some industries, which means that it might whether it's good or bad is is not as important as whether it uh, it helps business or whether it's a necessity. So, if you're an organisation that's contracting for work, having a, a you know a number of reputable type of safety awards to put in your tenders is um is a good thing to do. You know, even more so depending on what your incident rates are like and your company safety system looks like. It's definitely something that you know could help your organisation win business. So in that case, whether it's good or bad for safety doesn't really matter. If it's if it's um, helpful to the business, then it can be legitimate for the organisation to focus attention of it on it. I think what is what is concerning is when companies receive safety awards that they may not otherwise. I don't know how to say, but but deserve is probably the right word. And then it makes senior management and others in the organisation maybe feel like they're safer than they should feel like they are. And, and maybe reduce their effort because we just won this big industry award. So so why should we continue to do another big program or, or invest more? Um, that would be one of my big concerns. So, so hold that thought as a potential spoiler for our second paper, which you haven't had a chance to look at, David, which um, is going to maybe answer that question. It certainly troubles me, not just in safety, but I remember that uh, universities have got a big focus on gender equity. And there are particular awards they give out with like gold awards and silver awards and bronze awards for how well uh, university departments are treating their female employees. And it horrified me that the biggest complaint that some of our staff had was that they kept getting sidelined from real work into being made to do the administrative work associated with projects. And some of our brightest researchers got diverted from research to prepare the awards nominations to show how good the department was at gender equity. And you, this is the risk, is that if you're actually not doing well and you're diverting the resource towards trying to prove that you're doing well instead of diverting the resource to doing better. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a big concern. That's a big concern with safety work. When, when safety work does two things, when it detracts resources from actually being invested towards the safety of work or when it makes the organisation potentially feel like it's it's safer than it should feel like it is. So the final thing I want to take out of this paper is definitely there was a feeling that a secondary motive in applying for these awards, so secondary but real, so like your second on the list, is that it motivates employees. That you apply for prizes because it makes people motivated for safety. We feel good, our organisation is doing well, we got a prize, let's do even better. And that's something that is an interesting one that I think we can actually test. Because the counterthought to that is that, in fact, the focus is on looking good and hiding incidents and accidents to get a prize, and that the incentive might, in fact, work the other way. So I think that is definitely worth checking out. And that's where, where I think this second paper we're going to look at is interesting. Andrew, just before we go on to that, that second paper, I'm just reflecting on one of your comments earlier that there hasn't been that much research in this space since 2000, it actually wouldn't be that hard for a researcher to get a whole list of award recipients and 
do some research on those that actually won the award and those that applied and didn't win the award maybe three or six months afterwards or or maybe in the lead up to the next awards round you could you could design quite an interesting research study to try to understand the drivers of and the the outcomes of winning awards and not winning awards it'd be interesting to see how you could design that yeah i I certainly think there is room just to update this paper from 2000 and to dig a little bit deeper into some of those questions around the ecosystem of awards and the effect they have yeah i I love your idea of a where are they now study (laughs) this is the person who won the award and this is what happened in the next six months this is the person who lost and this is what happened to them and what we usually claim about the mechanism, so so actually trying to make some claims about what we actually think this award's going to do. Is it going to make this organisation have an accident because they're going to think they're safer than they're not? Is it going to make the organisation or other parts of the organisation um, you know, try harder and be safer? And, and if you could find a nice way to design that study, it'd be, you know, it'd be interesting. It's a good PhD student topic. Yeah. So this next paper, it's a behavioural economics paper. There are sort of two big moves in, uh, I guess, trends in safety research that's feeding into safety practice. And I know it's getting to be a big thing amongst regulators and government agencies to have behavioural economics units. Closely related to that is social psychology. Um, They're both related to nudges. They both get trotted out as new ways of looking at organisations to improve behaviour and to improve decision-making bit by stepping away from the old behaviour-based. So I think it's an interesting question whether behavioural economics and social psychology are just behaviour-based safety in new drag or whether they're a genuinely new initiative. I have to admit, David, maybe you've got an opinion and I'd love it if one of our listeners can give me a capsule explanation. Just you, what is the difference between behavioural economics and social psychology? Well, Drew, I'm not going to, with no preparation, I'm not going to try and give you a definition around that. But I think, look, behavioural-based safety, I think, is, is, is an active program in organisations where it's trying to, to shape the way the organisation or, or individuals within the organisation behave. Whereas I think social psychology is more descriptive and is just, just trying to understand and explain the way that social systems actually operate, not necessarily to change them, but just to understand them and be able to work within them recognizing that they have certain um, characteristics that if you understand those characteristics, then you might be able to, to leverage the way that the organization works in a better way. So, so that'd be how I think about behavior-based safety and social psychology as, as being a little bit different. I'm, I'm not as familiar with behavioral economics. I know the field is moving really, really fast. And I think it comes a little bit more down to how individuals make decisions. I've always thought of behavioral economics a little bit like the individual decision-making processes. Yeah, thanks. I like that as a summary. Um, the way I think about it in my head is that behavioural economics is focused mainly on those individual choices. So there's lots of times in the real world when people make decisions and our goal isn't really to get them to make the right decision so much as to avoid the fact that by the way we structure that decision, we might accidentally push them into a decision that's not good for them. And we know that that's possible. A really simple example, and this is one of the ones that I know behavioural economics looked at early on, is how do people at the supermarket decide whether they buy two bags that are one kilogram each or one bag that's two kilograms each? And traditional economics says, okay, there's a clear right answer. Let's just assume that everyone makes the right answer. One of the bags is cheaper per kilogram of flour. But in the real world, companies use all sorts of tricks to make us accidentally spend more money. So you're... The sort of 
a good view or like golden halo version of behavioral economics is it's about helping people focus on the most relevant factors in decisions and getting rid of the distractions. And it, the research tends to be done one problem at a time, and it tends to be done in the field, trying to find a problem and fix it. Whereas social psychology tries to come at those more general principles. So it tends to do more experiments in the lab, try to discover some big guiding principle, and then that one principle applies in lots of different situations. So that's the way I sort of see the difference. It's more about where the research gets done and how general you try to make it. And then there's just the simple fact that one gets done in schools of economics, the other gets done in schools of psychology. Yeah, look, there's, I mean, it wouldn't be the only thing that's, um, that's, that, that's very similar in, in but uh, got different labels depending on the different academic discipline that's, that's researching it. But um, I like the way that you've described that, Drew. I think um, behavioral economics has got a long history of psychology and, and, and economics. And we know that you know the, the early behavioral economic theories and things like game theory and, and all of these other constructs that have come through both economics and psychology, I, I see in that behavioral economic space. And then social psychology is a bit more like sociology in a sense of, you know, maybe outside that individual transaction and more like, well, when you get a group of people together, what happens? So in contrast to our last paper, which was very, very old, uh, the paper we're going to look at now is very, very young. It's by Carly Robinson, uh, Jana Gallus, Monica Lee, and Todd Rogers. And I looked them up, and Carly is still actually a PhD candidate right now. Um, so I kind of wish we'd got her on the podcast to give a quick interview. Um, maybe we can do a follow-up. Despite still doing a PhD, Carly and her co-authors together, they've got a big string of publications Almost every publication is a big field experiment, and they're all not directly, they're not in safety, they're in education. So as best I can gather from the publication in her profile, Carly's interest is in how do you motivate students, particularly to make them show up to school. But she's interested in how do you really, really rigorously test what does and motivate students. Um, so the paper title, I think, is the worst spoiler we've had so far. It's the demotivating effect brackets, and unintended message, close brackets, of awards. So I don't think I need to give you the summary of the paper. That's, that's the conclusion. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the method. So the, it's an experiment that tests whether giving awards to students improves their attendance. Massive study over 15,000 students. All of these students have had at least one month when they've had perfect attendance. And so the dependent variable, the outcome we're measuring, is how often the students miss school. And the independent variable, the thing that we're changing, is whether or not we give them an award. So the control students get nothing. The students with a prospective award, they get told that if they have perfect attendance in the month coming up, they're going to get an award. And in the retrospective condition, they get told, hey, you've already had a month of perfect attendance. Here's an award. So there's two predictions. The first one is that students getting an award, that will improve your attendance. So the hypothesis is awards are motivating. And the second hypothesis is that the prospective award will work better. So it's more motivating to know that you might get an award than to be given an award. At least that's the hypothesis. So it turns out that second one is true. Offering them award in future does work better than giving them award now. But the catch is that's only true because giving them an award now actually makes them worse. 
So, David, you were saying before, you know, what happens? People get an award, they think they're good, so they don't need to work as hard. Bingo. And did I get that um, that right, Drew, then? So, but neither effect was any better than just normal absenteeism without the prospect of an award at all. That's right. So getting an award doesn't seem to motivate people for higher attendance, and we'll get into that a little bit in a moment. But certainly after getting an award, people drop off again. And we can find a bit more sophisticated explanation, but it's basically that thing you said, that once they've gotten an award, they feel they're doing well. So you, that's not motivation. Yeah, maybe if they're doing a little bit better than others, because obviously they won the award and other people didn't, then they can you know, make more concessions to you know, still consider themselves above average or you know, above the mean, so to speak. So you know, I can understand how that would happen. And I think in this environment, even though it's not directly a safety sort of event, you can assume that the, the motivation to just do the behavior in the first place, so to turn up at class and not skip class if you're trying to get a degree or to work safely to keep yourself safe, like there's, there's enough task motivation there that it's not like we're having to provide an award for someone to do something they otherwise wouldn't want to be doing. And that's spot on in this study. Uh, so when they confirmed the absenteeism to the student grades, they found that the students who are doing okay at school are already highly motivated to attend. They feel good about school, they get good grades, they get positive feedback from their teacher. Getting a letter that says, congratulations, you've got an attendance award was just insignificant compared to all the intrinsic and other ways they feel good about what they're doing. Um, I think that has a direct parallel to safety as well that there's so much motivation that is so much bigger than do we have a piece of paper saying safety prize. Um, so many other reasons to care about safety. But for the people who weren't doing so well, uh, it seems like the award acted as permission to slack off. So they're not feeling very motivated to attend school. They're not feeling that they're doing very well. But they've been told that they're meeting expectations at least. Um, and so that's almost like permission. You know, you're doing a bit better than you thought you did. You've got award-worthy behaviour. So, yeah, if you feel like slacking off, that's okay. And so you could also you could you could clearly understand a situation, Drew, where the the safety department has prepared a really nice, great award application for a program that they've they've won they've run sorry and and they win this award, and the managing director of the company comes along and accepts the award and and feels like they're doing really, really well, and then obviously can make decisions to say, well, you know, maybe we can put all this extra discretionary effort into another part of the organization where we haven't won, or won an award or we haven't done so well. And the safety department might actually be kind of like shooting itself in the foot for not being, you know, getting the award, but then not getting resources necessary to do the next year of work. Yeah, we've, we've just proven that we don't need that extra staff member we asked for. So the title of the paper has this word signaling in it. And the researchers thought that maybe there's a, something a little bit more subtle going on. And they did another experiment. This one isn't as rigorous as the first one. So the first one was 15,000 plus real world students. Um, the second experiment was a little dinky online experiment with 300 participants. And they've got a range of ages. Most of them are young adults. So instead of actually giving them an award, they're saying, how would you feel if... But in this second study, they were testing specifically this idea that the award tells people what the school expects of them. So if you get an award, 
that tells you that you're doing better than the school expects. And if you don't get an award, that tells you you're doing worse than the school expects. And so that signaling effect sort of tells you whether you need to up your game or whether it's okay to slack off. So if you're missing 10 days of school a year, but you get an award for the one month you just happen to have perfect attendance, then you tell yourself, okay, the school doesn't think I'm doing badly. They think 10 days is fine. They must. They gave me an award. Whereas if you miss 10 days of school and everyone else gets an award and you don't, you think, okay, maybe the school expects me to do more of this. Um, so you aim to do a bit better. So, you know, whether the, that precisely is how it works, there's sort of a core strong message here that giving the awards has a demotivating effect. And then there's a slightly more subtle, less strong idea that the reason for the demotivating effect is because it signals expectations. So if we try to generalise this to to safety where, where the authors probably didn't intend it to be generalised to, so the, to kick off maybe some practical takeaways, the, um, the options here are either to not to have an award scheme or to have an award scheme but never hand one out. <laughs> I... I, I, I both like that and I'm a little bit horrified that that's your takeaway, is how can we use this to cynically manipulate people for the right motivations? Yeah, I think you're right that, in fact, this is one of the core lessons of behavioural economics, is don't extrapolate too much. So we're going to try to give takeaways that are not direct takeaways. They're not over-extrapolating. They're instead sort of looking for the core message here. And I think the first one is just don't assume that offering an award automatically motivates people. There's an underlying pattern that incentives can work in both directions, and it's very easy for them to accidentally work in the exact opposite way you intend. So that's not, we shouldn't take away a message, you know, this is how to make an incentive work, but we should definitely take away a message. Don't just assume that offering an incentive creates incentive. Second one there is that don't assume that motivation equals doing what you want. You can be motivated to win an award and it causes all sorts of perverse behaviour. And that's from our first paper. You may be motivating people to spend time writing awards rather than motivating them to improve safety. Or the, um, I think like you said, Drew, or, um, or the award might be for most improved safety performance. And so you might be motivating people to not report incidents and things like that. So, you know, if, if the motivation to, to win the award is greater than the motivation to, you know, maybe do what, what you want or expect people to do, then you need to understand that you might be pushing people into different directions. So this next one I wrote down, but I'm really interested in your opinion on it, David, is that is improving safety the only worthwhile thing for a safety practitioner to do? Because reading between the lines of what you said earlier, I'm thinking that you think that, you know, safety practitioners can just do other stuff that isn't for safety, but is good for the company. And that's a legitimate and valuable way to be spending time. Is that what you meant to say? I think, Drew, in the paper that we we wrote to sort of transform the safety profession, we um, I talked about the safety profession having a responsibility to contribute to organisational success. So, so have a responsibility to contribute to to safety, but you know also a role that they play in in sales and efficiency and product production and 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 climate and culture and a whole range of other things because the organization doesn't exist just to be safe. So that idea, I, obviously it comes at a cost if, if the safety resources are spending time doing non-safety related work 
for other organizational goals, then that can compromise them delivering on their safety goals. But you know, a certain amount of flexibility is 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 I think warranted in all organizational departments now. Yeah, you know, and then there's the other side where where maybe the um, the safety department contributing to broader organizational objectives outside of safety makes them seen as more of a team player and more credible rather than just staying in their box and and doing their safety things but not having the relationships or the ability to influence um, more broadly. So be, being a team player in that sense has to be better than safety than being a team player by sometimes compromising safety to pick your battles. Um, you know, th- this is a this is genuinely good for the organisation. It doesn't certainly doesn't hurt safety. You're recognising people and making them feel good about themselves, and maybe giving your organisation a marketing edge. Uh, I'd like safety people not to feel that there's something evil in helping the organisation make money. No, no, I think quite the opposite. I think um, the safety safety organisation needs to feel that it's part of their responsibility to help the organisation make money in a safe way. Because ultimately, that's the they're the priorities that the CEO and the management are trying to balance every day. And then the final thing that I wanted to throw in is, and this is particularly, I know we've got some listeners who are very much into the new view and safety differently and safety too, is I do want to get the sense that the word behavior doesn't automatically make something unscientific, even if you are strongly in the new view. It's a fact of organizations that sometimes decisions made by individuals do matter. And helping people with those decisions is not evil. There's lots of basic conclusions from behavioural economics that we can learn from, and most of them point squarely in the same direction as safety differently and safety too. Uh, There's a whole tranche of papers in behavioural economics about how the longer you make a form, the less likely people are to fill it out accurately, which is an incredibly safety too behavioural economics finding. Yeah, I agree, Drew. I think um, these these ends of the spectrum that we find ourselves um, debating at the moment now in in safety is, is is not as helpful as um you know looking at the whole spectrum of of research findings and and what's what's uh what's useful within that. So we also talked about in um the episode on the authority to stop work that drew about how useful rules can be in uh in enabling people to stop work in unsafe situations. So you know we I think for our, our new view view listeners be be um be a professional who who is um, curious about all different ideas in safety and all different ideas in the broader organisational disciplines. So we, we've run out of time again. I'm just going to, for our invitation to the listeners this week, call back to the comment David made that there's very little research on safety awards. So any of our listeners who are students looking for a master's project, simple bit of work looking at safety awards, why people run them, why people apply for them, what effect it has, I think would be a really cool project for someone to do. It could be a PhD, could be something uh, smaller than that. Um, you, good, good project for someone doing a coursework master's in OHS, I think, to have a look at safety awards. Also keen to hear if any of our listeners have been part of a safety award recently. You, do you think that they've changed from when that paper was, or do you think these lessons from 2000 still hold? So that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to us at feedback at safetyofwork.com. 